1: I mentioned in the last episode that many scholars understand Psalms 93 to 100 as an originally independent unit that explores the theme of Yahweh's kingship over all creation. If that is so, and I think it makes a great deal of sense, then we aren't surprised to see a certain logical progression from one Psalm in this series to the next. J. Alec Montyers is here. In Psalm 93, we sat, so to speak, beside the king and looked at the world noting that for all its display of power, it was beneath him. In Psalm 94, we descend into the arena of the world and look at the king, quote. What Machir is saying there is that if it is true that God is sovereign over all the cosmos, if it is true that he speaks to the wind and the waves and they obey him, then why is there so much evil and enduring injustice in this world? That is the question that Psalm 94 is exploring. Now, we don't know who wrote it. It is what scholars refer to as an orphan psalm, meaning that it has no ascription and no biographical context. We don't know who, we don't know where, uh, we don't know when it came from, but we do know that it was read every Wednesday while the Jewish people were in exile in Babylon. The Babylonians honored a different deity from their pantheon every day of the week. And so in protest to that, the Jews read a specific royal psalm of their own on each day of the week. Every day that their neighbors were bowing down before some dead idol, the Jews made their worship to Almighty God. Psalm 94 was the Wednesday Psalm to King Yahweh, read, prayed, and sung by the Jewish people living in exile in a foreign land. Keep that thought in your mind as we make our way through these verses. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse one. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth, rise up, O judge of the earth, Repay to the proud what they deserve. I've heard a few series over the years on the names of God, but I don't believe I've ever heard a sermon on this one. O oh Lord, God of Vengeance. Thomas Scott, who wrote a very well-known and widely used commentary of the whole Bible back in the 19th century, said here, those who imagine that the exuberant goodness and mercy of God are inconsistent with the exercise of rigorous justice and with the infliction of vengeance on the wicked, must certainly have formed very erroneous conceptions of his character, quote. And I would add, must not have read very much of the Bible. Old Testament and new, God is the God of vengeance. In Numbers 31, verse one, we read, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, avenge the people of Israel, On the Midianites, close quote. And so Moses did. It was a slaughter. They killed men, women, old, and young. It was vengeance for the attempt of the Midianites to curse and destroy the people of God. You recall that they attempted to hire Balaam to curse the Israelites, and he told them that he could not curse what God had blessed, but he also told them how they could get the people of Israel to curse themselves. They could send young, beautiful women into the camp to invite the young men of Israel to a fertility ritual, which of course would involve such regional depravities as ritualized prostitution. Idolatry and sexual immorality have long been used to spiritually emasculate the people of God. The effect would have been more devastating if not for the intervention of Phinehas, who impaled an Israelite man taking a young. Midianite woman into his tent. The Bible takes sin seriously, friends, and God is not a passive observer of that severity. He is the author and adjudicator of it. God did not rebuke Phinehas for his actions. He commended Phinehas, and then he commanded Moses to finish the job. But you say, well, that's in the Old Testament. Surely God is no longer a God of vengeance. Well, that would be news to the Apostle Paul. He said in Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Romans 12, 19. Paul told believers to wait for the vengeance of God, which is precisely the theme of this psalm. As Thomas Scott said above, those who think that vengeance is not compatible with the character of God, only give evidence that they don't understand the character of God. And those who think that the vengeance of God can be found only in the pages of the Old Testament only give evidence that they haven't read many pages of the New Testament. Tremper Longman III says here that as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the object of warfare moves from the Canaanites, who are the object of God's wrath for their sin, to the spiritual powers and principalities, and then finally to the utter destruction of all evil, human and spiritual. Indeed, it must be said that those who have moral difficulties with the genocide and the conquest of Canaan should have even more serious difficulties with the final judgment. In the latter, all those who do not follow Christ, men, women, and children, will be thrown into the lake of fire." Closed quote. Indeed, Old Testament and New, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Verse three. O Lord, how long shall the wicked? How long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. All the evil doers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner. And murder the fatherless. And they say, The Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. The psalmist is wrestling here to reconcile what he knows of God with what he sees in the world. O God of vengeance, O God who commanded the slaughter of the Midianites, O God who executed holy war on the Canaanites, O God of judgment and justice, O God who defends the widow and the orphan, the poor and the oppressed. Oh, God of vengeance, where are you now? W.S. Plumer says here, In his inscrutable wisdom, God sometimes permits the haughty to have a long career of high-handed dealing with his people. The patience of God with the wicked is so great that even the martyrs in heaven seem greatly to wonder at its continuance. Quote. He's citing there, Revelation 6, 9-11. that passage in the New Testament reads as follows. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Closed quote. The Bible makes it clear that God in his wisdom allows evil to run its course. He allows wicked people to pile up evidence that will sink them down to hell. And correspondingly, he allows the righteous, his people, to suffer wrongs that go unredressed, he allows the poor to be trampled into the dust. And all faithful people wrestle with that reality. The Apostle Peter knew that his people were struggling with it. He said in Second Peter 3, 8-10, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Closed quote. And that is exactly the worldview that undergirds this psalm. Old Testament and New, the faithful of God's people wait eagerly for the recompense and vindication of final judgment. It may be long delayed, but it will come. The wise understand that and conduct themselves accordingly. But the fool lives his life in willful ignorance. Verse 8, understand, O dullest of the people, fools. When will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. The fool says in his heart there is no God. He wants there to be no God so that he can continue to act as God unto himself. He wants to believe that there is no God, or at the very least, No God who sees, no God who cares, no God who comes. But the psalmist says, Surely the one who gave you your eyes has eyes himself? Be assured of this fool, if there is a creator, then there is a judge. He sees, he knows, and he comes. And therefore, verse 12, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. Many scholars understand verse 12 as the centerpiece of this psalm. Happiness in this world, blessedness in this world, comes from receiving the word of the Lord. However it be applied, however it be apprehended, whether you take the word of God the easy way or the hard way, Either way, if it saves you from standing before God on Judgment Day as a rebel and an enemy, then it has served you well. It brings you to the place of rest, though by stripes and in stages. This is no different than what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.32. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And so God enrolls his people in the school of affliction. He ordains suffering and trials. But more than that, he teaches us. J. Alec Macias says here, the judge of the earth is the teacher of his people. (laughs) Closed quote. Thanks be to God. As for the wicked, they pile up evidence against themselves. Derek Kidner says here, in God's economy, the pit dug for the wicked is largely dug by the wicked. And this is not done in a day, nor without general havoc. And one can easily imagine these thoughts inspiring endurance in the hearts of the Jewish exiles during their long night of discipline in the heart of idolatrous Babylon. God has purpose in this. God is teaching us, and He is seeing them. And this will come to an end. Verse 14, for the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous and all the upright in heart will follow it. God is playing a long game, but he has not given up on his people. Verse 16, who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought, my foot slips. Your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. The psalmist came near to the pit of despair when he considered the state of the world. Wickedness appears unopposed. Evil appears unrestrained. But then the Lord encouraged him, and fresh conviction settled upon him. Can wicked rulers exist in a world ruled by God? Not for long. Verse 22, but the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord, our God, will wipe them out. Willem van Gemeren says here, in these verses, the psalmist calls on the godly to cast their lot with his God, who alone is the fortress of his people and to whom alone belongs vindication, quote. While the winds of wickedness rage outside, the people of God find their refuge in the Lord. They listen to his word. They suffer his chastisements. They remember his ways, and they eagerly watch for his appearing. The night is long, brothers and sisters, but joy
0: comes with the morning. Thanks be to God. Thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those at intotheword.ca. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just type Into the Word into the search bar. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right corner. Once again, that's intotheword.ca. We hope to see you again real soon right here for another episode of Into the Word.